would you turn to the book of James? Turn to the book of James, and then we're also going to go to the book of uh, Romans, and then we're going to go to the book of Galatians. So we're going to go to a few different scriptures today. Uh, I encourage you to always to bring your Bibles to church. Uh, you might have a phone which has an app, and, uh, or a tablet that has an app. So however you could find the Word of God today, but we're going to start in James chapter 4, and I'm going to preach a message today called The War Within. The War Within, and uh, I actually talked to God a little bit, had a conversation, and I said, God, really, let's, let's do this some other day. Let's, let's, let's do this sermon some other time. And God said, no, today's the right day, because I thought, you know, people are on vacation. We have a lot of people out of town this week and next week. But our 21 days of prayer and fasting starts very soon, and so I, I felt like this is what I wanted to share at some point, and God said, now is the time to share it. Let's talk about this, the spiritual battle that takes place, and we're going to talk about the war within today, and we're going to start in the book of James. Here I am in Samuel. We're going to start in the book of James, and then we're going to uh, bounce around a little bit, and I want you to play, uh, pay close attention to really what the Word of God has to say. So just past Hebrews, James chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, it says this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? It's a great question. Where does strife come from? Where does anxiety come from? Where does pride come from? Where does lust come from? Where does anger come from? Where does all of that come from? It says this, do they not come from your desires for pleasure, listen to this, that war in your members, in your members. So there's something on the inside of you, there's a war that is taking place, James calls it a war, he says there is a battle that is taking place, it's on the inside of you, this battle, and he said the battle is, it's, it's the flesh versus the spirit, it is a war in your members. And it says this, verse number two, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures, on your pleasures. And so James is saying this, there's a battle that's taking place, there's a fight that's taking place, and the fight is for your prayer life. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? He said there's a battle that's taking place, this war that is happening... And the, the war is affecting the way you ask. First of all, it's affecting whether or not you even ask. You don't have because you don't ask. So the battle that's taking place, this war that's going on on the inside of you, affects whether or not you even pray. It keeps you from praying. It keeps you from asking. He said, and then even when you do ask, the flesh job, the, the war that's taking place, if we allow the enemy to win, we allow our flesh to win. He said, not only that, it keeps you from asking correctly. You're not even praying correct prayers because the prayers that you're praying are, are for your own pleasures, your own desires. And so the battle that's taking place is for your prayer life. Whether or not you're going to pray at all, whether or not you're going to pray even correctly. 
Verse 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses. You know he's very pastoral and very compassionate loving. You know, he just kind of tells it like it is, actually. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? In other words, the spirit of God desires to have you, desires to take control. He wants to make the decisions. He wants to rule your life. He wants to be the one that calls the shots. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen, that's good news. The good news is, is that if you submit to God, resist the devil, he's going to flee. The good news is, is that if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. The good news is, is that if you humble yourself, he will exalt you. Amen? And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks when we really talk about fasting and the effect and what fasting and what prayer and fasting does in our life. But our first priority here today is to talk about the war that is taking place on the inside of us. The war that is taking place on the inside of us. It actually says, in fact, turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 7, because it's not just James that talked about this war. Romans talks about the war too, and Paul is writing... And he says something that's so profound and so powerful. And I want to just tell you what he says in in chapter 7 because we don't have time to read it all. But he says this, sometimes I do things I really don't want to do. Sometimes I do things and when I'm done, I say to myself, why did I just do that? Now, has anybody ever done that at all? Anybody ever talk to themselves Anybody ever answer themselves when they talk to themselves? That's when you know you have real problems right there. That's when you know. I do it all the time. That's why I know. Do something and you go, why did you do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? And so Paul asked himself that question. Why do I sometimes do the things I don't want to do? And he answers in verse 21 and he says this. I find then a law. A law is a consistent pattern. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one that wills to do good. I'm the one that wills to do good, but evil is present with me. For I, myself, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law. Now he's saying this, I see another law, another consistent set of rules or patterns, another consistent pattern in my life. Uh, In my members, he said, we just talked about the members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who is going to deliver me? 
Who is going to, to make sure that I don't just, listen now, I'm not trying to get free. Who is going to ensure that I stay free? Because we looked at God has already set us free. Our battle is not to get set free. Our battle is to stay free. Amen? So we know this, God through Jesus Christ, that's why he said, through Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote, Jesus had already died, he'd already been resurrected, and so it had already happened. The atonement had already taken place. And so he says this, I thank God that through Jesus Christ, what he did, not what he's going to do, what he did, I'm free. He delivers me. I'm going to be set free continually because of what he did. And so he said this, but there is still a war that takes place. The flesh doesn't want me to be free. The flesh wants to serve the enemy. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do. But the spirit of God wants to serve him, wants to live right, wants to think good thoughts. So there is a war that is going on within me. And so we have to understand the battle that is taking place. Now let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5, just a couple books over past Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 5. And this is Paul continuing. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. He says, so I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not. Not you may not. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Now listen to these words. And these are contrary to one another. In other words, these oppose one another. They're at war with one another. So that you don't do or do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit... If you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under that law. You're no longer under the law. So listen, it says this, if you're led by the Spirit. Now it doesn't say, one translation does, but it's incorrect. Because most translations say, led by, led by, led by. One translation says, if you follow. But that's not correct. There's a difference between being led and following. And I liken it to this. You follow a car. But a train is led by an engine. Do you see the difference? The car, how many of you ever tried to follow somebody? Remember pre-cell phone days? And you would, they would say to you, well, just follow me. And you go, okay, that should be no problem at all. I'll just, I'll just follow them. My wife and I have had several experiences in our lifetime when I have said to her, honey, just follow me. And I look in the rearview mirror. Two minutes later, she's nowhere to be found. I said, what happened? What, you didn't run that red light with me? What happened? You can't go 85 in your car? Because I can. Zipping and out of traffic? What's the matter? You know, because I wasn't even taking her into consideration. And we've had several instances of our life that I won't mention because I'm happily married. And so we want to stay that way. But, but I've tried to get her to follow me and she hasn't been able to follow me. There's a difference. It doesn't say if you follow, it says if you're led, led. That means it's, it's the engine that is connected to the cable cars. And so if you're led by the Spirit, that means you attach yourself to the Spirit of God. That means then, then you're going to overcome. 
So that's how you win the battle. We'll talk more about how you win, but today I want to just give you one point to really drive home, and that's this. You have to recognize the war within. You just have to recognize it. We had several, especially in the first service, several Vietnam vets. And I think a lot about Vietnam and the war that took place. I've studied it a lot, watched a lot of different documentaries on it, because my pastor in North Florida was a Vietnam vet, and and he's a missionary today in Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam three different times, going back again this summer to do a family seminar. And so Vietnam just, and that whole war, and really the state of America during that war has always been fascinating to me. And one of the reasons why I'm talking to vets and and especially those who fought, is because uh, they at many times felt abandoned. They felt as if it was the war where we really didn't commit to winning. They felt as if it was more of a political thing than it was an actual fight. And some call it a conflict. But you won't find anybody who fought in it who calls it a conflict. They call it a war, buddy. Because there were real bullets and real people dying and there was real blood and it was real war. And what they say is this, if you're going to fight, you fight to win. You cannot win a war that you do not even acknowledge the existence of. Let me say that again. You can't win a war that you do not acknowledge the existence of. And if we go through life and we just try to live our life and pay some bills and think to ourselves that everything's going to be great and and we're never going to have any problems and and we're just going to work nine to five and we're just going to try to have a career and try to have some side hobbies and we're just going to try to live our life and we don't acknowledge that there's a spiritual war that's taking place, guess what? You're going to lose. You will lose. Because I've got news for you. There's a real devil And there are real demons, and you have a real flesh that does not want you to overcome. There's a real battle that's taking place. And we either have to acknowledge it and declare that, hey, there is a battle, and I'm going to win, or we might as well just prepare to be run over. And you say, well, pastor, things are kind of good for me right now. Well, all it takes is one phone call, right? Because I've, I've been pastoring for a long time. I know all it takes is one email, one phone call, one tragedy, right? One, one situation to turn your entire world upside down. And it can happen just that quick. But what you don't know is before that happens, there's a spiritual war that's taking place. It's a spiritual battle. James says it's a, it's a fight, it's a war. And it's trying to get you not to pray, not to, not to believe, right? Not to resist, and not, to, not to submit to God, not to resist the devil. And, and Paul said, that's why you end up doing things you don't want to do. That's why you make poor choices. That's why you have bad mistakes. That's why you end up in calamity and despair. That's why you do all those things you don't want to do, because there's a flesh. There's a spiritual world out there. And the spiritual battle is real. Even though you cannot see it, it is real. So we have to recognize it today. 
And so let me just go back to the Old Testament and show you one person's uh, tragic mistake. In, in 2 Samuel, let's flip over to 2 Samuel, and it talks about a guy by the name of David. And when we think of David, we immediately think of Goliath, and we immediately think of a boy and a shepherd. But then, if you've studied your Bible, you also think of, of a tragedy in his life. And you think of a calamity, and you think of something that took place that's so horrific that you ever wonder how he ever recovered from it. But it's what happened right before that took place that you have to pay attention to. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1, it says this, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened. Then it happened. And if you could ever put capital letters in the Bible, I would capitalize it. Then it happened. David took a stroll. He saw a beautiful woman. The next thing you know, he committed adultery. The next thing you know, he committed murder. The next thing you know, he lost a child. The next thing you know, he lost his integrity, his respect. The next thing you know, his sons turned against him. All of this, the entire dark history of David's life happened. But it says in verse number one, then it happened. Huh? It happened. It just happened. Well, you say, Pastor, what happened? Well, I don't know. He got, got lazy. He decided to stay home. He just thought to himself, you know what? I just won a victory. I just won a battle. If you look at chapter 10, he just defeated. In fact, the Bible says he defeated 40,000 horsemen of the Armenians. Just, it happened. And he got back home and it happened. He just decided to stay home. And if you could go back, and if David could ever sit on a couch and talk to a counselor, and the counselor would say to him, David, David, how, how, did, how did you get in such a mess? How, how, did you, how did you ever commit adultery? How did you ever commit murder? You're the king. You could have any woman you wanted. You... you had the anointing of God upon you. How did you end up in such a mess? And David, you could just kind of picture him on the couch in the counselor's office going, you know what? I don't know how it happened. I guess I just, I guess I just, you know, was one day taking a stroll and I saw her. Well, what happened before that, David? Well, I was sitting on the throne and I thought, okay, I'm just going to go outside. Well, what about before that? Well, Everybody went to war. And I was supposed to go, but I never showed up. I sent other people instead. Oh, okay. That's how it happened. It happened. It happened before it happened. I got lazy. I, I decided that, you know what, I'm... I'm, I'm not going to get up early today. I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to stay home. You know, 
I understand. I understand. We get tired. How many of you are physically tired days? Anybody with me? How many of you feel like you can go home and take a nap and just praise God for Sunday afternoons, right? You're physically drained. But you showed up today. Why? Because you had to? Because you had a new outfit? No, no, no. You didn't want to just show off, right? I hope you came because you knew there was value in something here today, right? Something that said, listen, because I know, I, listen, I've got friends who pastor churches. They took today off. And, and one of them said, we're, we're taking the Sunday off so you could be refreshed. And I went, what? I thought you'd get refreshed by going to church. Yeah. I hope nobody walks out of here going, dear Lord, that was so taxing. Oh, man. Oh, God. We barely made it through the service, you know. That's not how you're supposed to have church. You should walk out of here going, thank God I showed up. Amen. You know. Now, don't don't quote me on that one to him. But you know what I'm saying? Because he's still a buddy of mine. But I hope you don't walk out of your prayer life going, dear God, I barely survived. I hope you walk out of your devotional time and your prayer time with God going, thank God I needed that. Now I can face the day. Now I can get ahead. Now I can do what I need to do because I don't know if I was going to make it, but now I prayed and now I can win this thing. Amen. Amen. You should be refreshed after praying. You should be refreshed. Now, I'm not talking necessarily physically, but spiritually you should. And that's what counts. But David got lazy. He got tired. He just said, you know what? I'll send somebody else to fight. And that's how it happened. That's how it happened. Anybody in here ever struggle with road rage? Let me just throw that example out. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to know who you are. But too late for some of you. I, I have struggled with road rage in my lifetime. Just ask my children. I have struggled with it at different times in my life. And you know what? Let me tell you how it happens. You say, pastor, somebody cuts me off. No, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. Let me tell you how it happens. You get really angry at somebody and, and, you, and you, you go, and you say something, and then, does anybody ever regret it and go, why did I do that? I can't believe it, you know? The reason it happened is because somewhere it happened. You didn't wake up, you didn't pray, you didn't spend time in God's word, you didn't say, God, I thank you today that I'm going to face traffic, and somewhere along the way, something's going to happen, and I need grace and mercy to deal with those people who got their driver's license at Walmart. I just somehow, I need the grace and mercy to do that. See, if that doesn't happen, then guess what's going to happen? Road rage. Huh? If you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, if stress and worry are overtaking your life, let me tell you how it happens. It's because somewhere along the way, we didn't win the battle there. We've allowed our thought life to get out of control And it's because we're not praying and we're not reading the Bible. Listen, James said, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Where do those actions come from? Right? Where does that behavior come from? It comes from somewhere along the way you either didn't ask or you asked incorrectly. You didn't pray like you should. 
You didn't get up. Somehow, it was just too easy to get on social media instead of getting into the Word of God. It was too easy to just go straight to work instead of getting into the Word of God. It was just too easy to let it happen. And David let it happen. He let it happen, and then it happened. It really happened. It happened to him. He was just minding his own business. He thought everything was good. And all of a sudden, he was just overwhelmed and consumed with lust. Ended up committing adultery and then murder. All sorts of things spiraled in his life. And listen to me very carefully. The darkest chapter of David's life could have been avoided if he would have just went to battle. And I wonder how many of our chapters that are not so pretty and not so lovely and we wouldn't want anybody to read about it. I wonder how many of them could be avoided if we would just go to battle. 21 days of prayer and fasting is coming up. And uh, it's coming up in, in January the 10th. And I know we're still in holiday mode and we still have, I've got so much candy and chocolate and cake and cookies at my house. You guys overwhelm us with this stuff. What are you trying to do to me? Right? That it's hard to even kind of get into a a fast mode. But it's coming. 21 days of prayer and fasting is coming January 10th. And here's what's going to take place during those 21 days. From Sunday through Thursday, we're going to meet here every night for one hour, 7 to 8 p.m., for one hour. And what's going to happen during that hour, we're going to worship God, we're going to pray, but we're going to try to keep it to one hour. We're going to be very consistent because it's school, and school nights, work nights, and listen, I've got kids, homework, we've got soccer, we've got volleyball. We know what that looks like, so we try to be very, uh, you know, considerate of people's time. But then Friday nights, Friday nights it starts at 7. I have no idea when it's going to end. We're not going to advertise when it's going to end. It's going to end whenever the last person leaves. It may not even be me. It may be you. We'll show you how to lock up and, and set the alarm. Because we've been, we're inviting some guest speakers during those days. And we're saying this. Whatever happens, happens. However they lead, however they pray, let them, let's just go. They're going to lay hands on people. They're going to pray for people. It'll be every Friday night. And then Saturday, we're not going to meet. And then we start again on Sunday. And we do it for these 21 days. And why do we do it for these 21 days? Because it's January. We want to give them the first of the year. Absolutely. But there's a bigger reason than that. Because we want people to recognize the spiritual battle that's taking place for your life, for your decisions for your choices, for your future, for your family, for your finances, for your health, all of it. We want you to recognize there's a battle that's taking place. And you say, well, pastor, I I thought we win. We do win, but only if you battle. If you don't show up on the battlefield, you're not going to win. You're going to be like Paul his whole life. Your, the, your whole life is going to be, I don't know why I'm doing what I don't want to do. But if you show up, then you'll be like Paul when he said, I thank God he gives us the victory. Amen? So that's what we want to do. We want to we win. Amen? I want to win. And let me tell you, the holidays right after them, 
It's a perfect time. We get distracted, things happen. Sometimes it happens. And so we need to do something about it. And we need to show up. I want you to bow your heads and and close your eyes for just a moment. How do we keep it from happening? Well, the way to do it is to overcome. We're going to talk more about the exact how. We're going to talk about what fasting...